Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for the time that you've given us here this morning. God, thank you so much for the people that you've brought into this family who have given their lives to serve you and to serve our families and our kids. Lord, thank you so much that you've surrounded us with with godly examples of what it means to follow after you. And so, Lord, we pray this morning is that we dig into your word, that your word would would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would, would, would bring us to revelation of you, Jesus, to see you and know you and to hear your voice being spoken this morning. God, thank you that you are continuing to pursue us. Even this morning, God, your word is going forth into our lives. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, open our ears and open our eyes and give us the, the kind of hearts that are willing to receive by faith all that you are saying to us this morning. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, we're in week 24 in the story series, so there's 31 weeks. We're on really the last lap of, of the story. And so as we go through the story, we've, we've gone from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to go all the way to the end of Revelation in 31 weeks. And so many weeks, it feels like, man, we are just sprinting right through the, the, the chapter. And so in this chapter, in chapter 24, it really is a, uh, just a, a tapestry of, of various parables, teachings, and so we're not going to cover all those this morning. We're only going to cover John chapter 6 and starting in verse 22. So we're, we're only going to cover a small, small section of this chapter. But I would encourage you, if you haven't picked up the story, if you've fallen behind, if, if you don't have a storybook, no problem. It's not too late to start. We've got storybooks in the back, back table. Just grab one. You don't have to pay for it. Just, just pick one up, use it, start in chapter 24. Uh, it's not a problem to get going even now. So you, you don't feel like you're going to miss everything. You can still get a lot out of what we've got going on in these last few chapters. But one of the things, or a few of the things that we've seen week after week after week in the story series is that, number one, God is in control. Like Brian said this morning, God is in control. He is the one calling the shots. He is the one who is who's, who's the center of everything that takes place. And although the, the situations may change, God is still the one who's in control. He's still the one who's all-powerful, the creator, the sovereign, the king, the ruler of creation and over everything. God is in control. The second thing that we see is that mankind, God's creation, is loved by God yet rebellious against God. And so every week in some different way, mankind finds and discovers a new way to rebel against God. But it doesn't stop God or hinder God from his mission to pursue what has been lost, pursue that which has been turned away from God. God is on a mission to pursue and love and bring his people back to himself again. That's what we see week after week after week. And so this week is no different. We're going to continue on with with what Jesus has said. And this morning, just to give a little bit of a context, in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and he's able to feed, multiply the food and feed 5,000 people. It's an, it's an unbelievable miracle. And we also see 
that Jesus begins to, he's walking on water. He's, be, he's doing some miraculous things. But that all leads up to what we're going to read this morning. And so this morning, we're really dealing with this issue of faith. This issue of faith and what it means to work. And so um, I'll start by way of just a personal story from my own life. When I, when I first graduated from high school, I went to work at Leap Supply, which is like a family business that I worked at. And I remember my first day driving to work with my dad to Leap's. My dad worked at Leap's at the same time. And so we're driving together in his truck on our way to work. And my dad turned to me and said, son, I want you to know something. You need to, you need to be the hardest worker in that warehouse. I'm going to go work in a warehouse. He said, look, all eyes are going to be on you. They know who I am. They know who you are. All eyes are going to be on you. And you need to prove yourself by being the hardest worker. Because people are going to really be watching to see if you're going to be lazy or just kind of, oh, my dad works here too and he's, he's kind of in charge so I can do whatever I want to do. He says, be the hardest worker you can possibly be at Leap Supply. I remember that very distinctly, driving in his truck together. And so at Leap's, I did everything. Mopped, swept, cleaned, put stuff back in the, in the shelves. I did this thing we we used to do called dumpster jumping. And I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do this before, but if the garbage at the store was like overflowing and we still had a couple days left before the garbage truck would come, they'd get me and I'd have to go and jump in the dumpster to pack the garbage down so we could fit more garbage. And I'm pretty sure they didn't, no one else was able to do that because I'm sure it was some kind of lawsuit or something, right? Imagine the summertime after about five days of that garbage sitting in the heat in that dumpster and it's overflowing, They're like, hey, Johnny, uh, the dumpster's overflowing, why don't you get, you know, time to get out there and jump around in the dumpster. So sure enough, I'd get out there and jump around in the dumpster and pack the garbage down so we could put more garbage in. Yeah, it's tough working for a Dutchman, but that was, that's the way it worked. But that's, that's the way, and there's nothing against hard work. I mean, you read the whole chapter of Proverbs, and it's, man, this is, the essence of a lot of things in Proverbs, man, you've got to work hard. But in the kingdom of God, it is completely contrary and different to everything that we've learned in this life. See, everything we've learned in this life has to do with us working hard, earning the things that we get by, by the, the sweat and toil of our, of our own hard labor. But in the kingdom of God, it's completely different. And so we're going to read about that this morning. And this is what Jesus Christ is doing. So let's, let's look now at John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had, had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So they're talking about... They had eaten the bread, the 5,000 people. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So here it is, the people are seeking after Jesus. 
And one of the things I learned when I worked at Leap Supply is that plumbers will travel, I mean, hundreds of miles for a free hamburger. And so if you had a meal there, Adam will tell you this, if you had like a free luncheon at Leap Supply, guys would travel from all around, I mean, far reaches of Northwest Indiana, Chicago, for a, for a hamburger and a bag of chips. Man, they'll do anything for free food. And here it was, the same thing. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. People are searching all over the place, and Jesus is saying, look, I understand why you're going after me, because you want the meal. You're looking for me because I multiplied the food, and you like that, and now you're looking for more food. So he goes on. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So here it is. Jesus is telling him, look, you need to do the work of God. And the people are wondering, what exactly does that mean? What do, what do we have to do to do the work of God? See, so he lived in a context where they understood following God meant a set of rules and regulations. So following God meant if you, if you disobeyed God, you'd have to go to the temple, pay for a sacrifice, put the sacrifice on the altar, the priest would pray for you, you'd be forgiven. There was a whole system in place for people to be made right with God. And it was all done by works. And so now the people are expecting the same thing. This is, this is their, their paradigm, the way they understood their relationship with God. So they begin to ask Jesus, well, what do we have to do in order to do the works of God? What do we need to do in order to be made right with God? What is it that we have to accomplish? What are the works that we need to do? And so Jesus answers this by saying, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. Now, he could have listed off a number of things. Look, you need to go to church at least once a week. You need to pray. Make sure you put in a little, little something in the plate when it goes past. Make sure you're reading your Bible at least five minutes a day. I mean, he could have listed off just a number of things, went on and on and on. He doesn't do that. Jesus completely flips their paradigm upside down. It says this is the work of God, to believe in Jesus Christ. And the unbelief, it's, it's, it's not really what they're thinking in terms of work. It's just believing. We're not asking you to do anything. Just believe. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Right? This is after Jesus had just multiplied the food. He fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish. They've already seen the miracle. They're asking, they're like, okay, prove it now. Well, Jesus is like, what do you think I just did? What will you do? Our answer is, ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're referencing back to the time the Israelites spent in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and God provided food called manna, from, bread from heaven, for the people. So like, well, you know, can you do something? Here's what Moses did. What about you? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here the Israelites are talking about 
the way God provided for just Israel, just that, that, that group of people, Jesus completely blows the doors off their paradigm of what, where God's at work. And he says, look, he gives food to the whole world. You're talking about Israel. I'm talking about the work of God across the face of the earth. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Hey, that sounds great. We'll take some of this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes me, believes in me, will never be thirsty. See, Jesus uses this conversation about food and what they were hungry for to launch them into something so much more important than temporary food. He says, look, don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for the food that's temporary. Look, you, you had your fill across the lake. And now you're looking for more food, but I'm telling you, there's something so much more important for you to understand about who I am and what I've done. They say, what must we do? He says, believe in the one that he has sent. Believe in Jesus. It just seems it's too easy. This week, I, we sat down in our living room with a couple, and they were, were recounting to us just some of the decisions they had made recently in their lives. And the decisions they had made were painful to the rest of their family, hurtful. And their conclusion in terms of what do we need to do now in order to get past the pain and hurt that we've caused everybody, in order to really get into everyone's good graces, is to start making good decisions and really prove to everybody that now we're able by our decision-making, that we are, we're part of the family and you can love us and, and all these things. But here's the reality, that no amount of good decision-making is going to bring that person in or out of the family. Look, you're already part of the family. Nothing's going to change that. Now, there may be some hurt that you need to work through, but the fact is, that you're part of this family no matter what you do. And even if you make bad decisions for the rest of your life and cause everybody around you pain, you're still part of the family. And even if you make good decisions the rest of your life, that's not going to somehow earn your way back into the family. You're, you're already in the family. It's part of who you are. In the same way, Jesus Christ is telling people, look, for you, in order for you to have eternal life, to have relationship with me, in order for you to know God, it doesn't require for you to somehow find a way to work as hard as you possibly can to somehow attain eternal life. He says the work of God is this. It's faith. It's simply trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, that he is the way of life, that in him is life, and that apart from Jesus we have nothing, that his death and his resurrection was enough to pay for all of our sins and all of our mistakes. See, we don't have to work because someone has worked on our behalf. We don't have to work to earn our salvation because Jesus Christ has completed the work of God. And now when we come to him in faith, we are given his perfect obedience. And he takes, he takes upon himself our disobedience and our failures. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He is the bread of life.
the title of this chapter is No Ordinary Man. There has been other men who have been prophets. There's been other men in the, in the Bible who have raised people from the dead. There's been other men in the Bible who have healed people, who have been tremendous leaders, who have been kings, who have done the work of God, but no one in the Bible has claimed to be the bread of life. No one else in the Bible can say, look, put your trust in me for salvation. That's Jesus Christ alone. And he still says the same thing today. That is in Jesus Christ that we have life and hope and relationship. It's in Jesus Christ and his finished work that not only brings us to him in the first place, but that we continue to rest in the rest of our lives. Every day we can wake up knowing that no matter what comes our way, no matter what decisions we make, that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven and we belong. Even after bad decision after bad decision, Jesus Christ still brings us into his family to never leave again. So I think for us this morning, it's an invitation to stop striving to please God. It's an invitation to quit trying to think of ourselves as as somehow earning God's favor. Look, I read my Bible this week. I was actually at church this week. Hey, I did all these things. Man, God is really pleased with me this week. I even told someone about Jesus at work. Man, I'm good to go this week. Or the opposite, man, I blew it this week. Man, I didn't listen to anything God had to say. I completely forsook my Bible. I didn't do any of those things. The same is still true for us. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It almost sounds counterintuitive. And that's what's so hard for the people to believe as well. Because their whole paradigm was one of works. We live in that paradigm as well. Everything that we have in this world and what we think about in, in our American culture is one of working and merit and proving ourselves and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and everything. Man, that is ingrained in us from the, from the youngest age. And Jesus comes and says, the work of God is this. Believe in me. Period. That's it. There's nothing else. Just believe in me. That is the work of God. We rest in Jesus' finished work for us. And what we could not accomplish, Jesus accomplishes for us. I'm going to pray this morning. We're going to close with communion. But I want us to just go here from this place confident in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Confident that we don't have to earn our salvation. Confident that Jesus Christ is enough. And that his finished work was good enough for us. So Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your finished work for us. That the work you call us to do is to simply believe. Lord, that we don't have to strive to somehow try to please you. God, your seal of approval has been placed upon us because of the precious blood of your Son. So God, we rest in that. We find hope in that. God, we find rest in you, in you alone. So God, I pray that you would just give us this, a place of faith this morning to believe, Jesus, that you are enough. In your name we pray. Amen.